0: Given me and, and blessed me with, and, and taking my talents and, and trying to glorify Him through through uh, my passions and my talents. So. Because we need Christians whose faith is alive right now. God doesn't ask for anything in return from us. He just wants us to trust Him and believe that you know He is the Almighty and sent His Son Jesus here down the cross to forgive us of our sins. I'd rather. Share a Bible verse on Sunday morning with an audience of a hundred then just try to sell products and not make any difference at all to an audience of a million. And then it's like, well, that's settled. Let's go. <laughs> we sit back and we we develop this envious jealousy inside of us because somebody else is living the life that we want while we sit down and don't do anything about it. Get out. Go enjoy it. And then, of course, you know, you and I would say, get in the woods. <laughs> Hello, hello everyone. Welcome back to another episode of the Rascally Podcast. My name is Tyler Pruitt. I am the host and I am the founder of this podcast. Thank you so much for joining me for another episode. This is the second part of the James study that we've been kind of working through here. Um, Last time we discussed James chapter 1 verses 1 through 8. All right, and basically how to consider trials and how to consider difficult times, pure joy, and spoiler alert, if you haven't listened to it already, it's through God, so it's through God's wisdom, so um, if you guys haven't checked that out, go back and check that out, because a lot of what we're going to talk about today is going to be directly related to uh, those first eight verses that are found in James chapter one. If you haven't listened to that yet, then go ahead and do that real quick, but nonetheless, before we get into what we're going to talk about today i do want to ask that you guys connect with me on instagram you can find me at the handle at RiceKillEat. i'm on there uh trying to be more active on that i've i've kind of slowed down as far as the social media stuff goes just for obvious reasons just because social media especially you know certain aspects of it have been infiltrated by just garbage so i'm just for my own mental sake i have uh kind of taking a little bit of a step back. I'm not using, you know, uh, Facebook as much as I probably should be, but just for the purpose of my own sanity, I've just kind of taken a step back just temporarily just to just kind of recalibrate as far as, uh, social media stuff goes, but I am still on Instagram, still use that quite often. Um, it's probably always has been my most active, uh, aspect as far as social media goes. So if you haven't connected with me, on there then go ahead and do that that'd be awesome the handle for that is at rice kill eat um, also one quick thing I wanted to mention uh, my buddy Wes Ireton down in Texas I uh, mean him we've kind of been talking here lately just to just kind of do some partnership stuff as far as sharing content and all that kind of thing so he has a new rice kill eat YouTube series coming out uh, actually by the time this episode releases, it will already be out. So make sure you guys check that out. It's called Rise, Kill Eat. Um, God has put a very similar goal and a very similar, I guess, mission on Wes's heart as he has mine. Now mine is, mine is obviously focused on the podcast. He has, does an incredible job as far as videography goes and as far as cinematography goes. And um, so he has basically taken the idea of Rise, Kill Eat culture and put it onto the screen. So make sure you guys check that out make sure you check out his YouTube series that is going to be starting on March 1st. Like I said, it's probably by the time this episode posts, it'll already be out. So you guys will be able to, to check that out. So go ahead and check him out on YouTube. He's on Instagram. Also his handle is at RiceKillEatOfficial. Okay. So he's got a very similar name. Um, go ahead and give us both the follow. All right. So now, like I said, uh, this is the second part of the, the James series. Now, my intention with this series is to basically go all the way through the, the entire book of James. It's a fairly short book. I mean, I think it's only like five chapters. Um, but it's, it's so heavily packed that I've decided to do like an exegesis where you basically take a, a section and you discuss what the the purpose and the meaning and the uh, significance of that section is. So, like I said earlier, the, uh, Last episode, the last part of this this series, I guess the first part of the series, um, we discussed James chapter 1, verses 1 through 8, and in this one, we're going to get into verses 9 through 18. Okay, so that's going to put us about two, two-thirds of the way through uh, this first chapter of James, and like I said, it's so heavily packed that there's a lot that we can really dive into here. Um, James is a heavy-hitting kind of writer, and that's why he's able to pack so much into a small, uh, letter. So again, this is James one verses nine through 18. Now, um, before I read the full passage here, um, this passage is, and you'll kind of hear it as I'm reading it. It's kind of broken up. I kind of noticed a little bit of a pattern here into three different, three different parts. Okay. So the first part, I think we can probably kind of suggest that it's it's verses nine through 11. It's Basically, dealing with uh, how we should view our per, our personal possessions, our material possessions. Um, this will have some more significance as I'm kind of getting into it more. So up to this point, you know, in verses one through eight, James really t- talked about how to deal with trials and how to deal with doubt and that kind of thing. Verses nine through eleven, he's going to talk about uh, you know possessions and riches and and being poor and all that kind of thing. And then um, verses twelve through fifteen he's going to really lay out, I guess, kind of a, a roadmap to how we get involved with sin. So he's going to, he's going to flip from, you know, calling, basically calling people out for trusting in their possessions to the roadmap of how sin kind of works and the kind of the, the progression of sin. And I will look in the, look into that also. And then at the very end, good news of this, at the very end of this, this uh, passage here, verses 16 through 18, he gives us a solution to that sin. He gives us a solution to to temptation. So as I'm kind of reading it here, uh, just listen for those those three type parts, those three type of, uh, I guess, stages as I'm kind of going through here. So again, James 1, verses 9 through 18. Let the lowly brother boast in his exaltation and the rich in his humility, because like a flower of the grass, he will pass away. For the sun rises with its scorching heat and withers the grass. Its flower falls and its beauty perishes. So also will the rich man fade away in the midst of his pursuits. Verse 12. Blessed is the man who remains steadfast under trial. For when he has stood the test, he will receive the crown of life, which God has promised to those who love him. Let no one say when he is tempted, I am being tempted by God. For God cannot be tempted with evil. And he himself tempts no one. But each person is tempted when he is lured and enticed by his own desire. Then desire, when it has conceived, gives birth to sin. And sin, when it is fully grown, brings forth death. Verse 16. Do not be deceived, my beloved brothers. Every good and perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of lights, with whom there is no variation or shadow due to change. Of his own will, he brought us forth by the word of truth, that we should be a kind of first fruits of his creatures. All right, so as I was kind of going through that, hopefully you were able to pick up on those three kind of sections within this section itself. It's the uh, the viewing of material possessions, the the dealing with the sin, and kind of the roadmap to sin, and then of course the solution to sin. So um, let's just dive right into this. All right, so verse nine, it. He begins talking about these possessions, these material things. Um, so as we mentioned in the last part of this, the first part of this, James is the leader of the the church of Jerusalem. This is after the the dispersion, um, basically where uh, Christians are being persecuted by the Romans, and they basically spread out and go to different areas. James kind of stays behind it there in Jerusalem and becomes the leader of the the church in in Jerusalem. Now this specific part it's assumed that it was a very poor type of area it was a very very uh I guess low part of lower the lower class of of Jerusalem it's kind of staying in this area where this church was uh because he kind of starts out with this right here so verse nine let the lowly brother boast in his exaltation okay so I think in other translations it may say poor and basically what it's saying is that the, the lowly brother, the poor person is a is in a position here to trust in God. All right, So they're in a position where they don't have these material things. they don't have these things to to brag about. They don't have these things that they can really point at and say, look at all the successes that I have you know and here's the evidence of it. Their success, their their evidence of, of goodness and their uh, I guess their purpose for their wife is found in God. Okay, so let the lowly brother boast in his exaltation. Let the poor person boast in their being exalted by God. So, verse nine. I mean, like I said, this this whole whole book is just heavily packed. And right right there, right off the bat, he already hits hits pretty heavy here. And then verse ten, it kind of flips flips the script a little bit on him and starts talking to the rich. Okay, so verse nine, he very briefly uh, addresses the poor people, saying, "You know, you're poor." We get it. It can be tough, but because of that, you have this full reliance in God. And then verse 10, and the rich in his humiliation, because like a flower of the grass, he will pass away. So he's challenging the rich here. He's saying the rich need to be humble. Okay. Humiliation, humble. The rich should be humble and not trust in their possessions and money. How often do we see that? Like Even to this day, even you know, definitely in Western culture. And, um, I mean, American culture, we rely on our 401ks. We rely on our retirements. We are relying on our income, all these things, all this money, all these possessions went on our, our car. We drive these nice fancy cars and we rely solely on these things. And I'm not saying that those things are bad. I mean, those things are all things that, you know, I think people should have. And, it's okay to have things in this life you know but the issue comes whenever whenever the things have us so it's okay to have things in this life but it is not okay for the things to have our life okay so when those things become our little g gods that is the the issue that james is kind of addressing here in verse 10 it says that all those things they will be gone they will be they will all pass away like a flower of grass if you kind of think about the the life cycle of a flower. I mean, it is, it's fairly short. I mean, even in a calendar year, it may last weeks, maybe if it's lucky, if depending on the species of plant, maybe a couple months, but it's a very short period of time and it's very, uh, very short lived part of the, the plant's life cycle. So just like the flower of the grass, these life cycles, these, the or these things, these possessions, these materials, those are going to be gone just about as quickly as they come. So, James is, of course, challenging these rich people, these people who have all these possessions, to not trust in those things. Okay, and then as we kind of look forward here in verse 11, he basically reiterates the point that he made in verse 10 as far as dealing with the rich. So, it says that for the sun rises with its scorching heat and withers the grass. Okay, we see that. I live in Kentucky and we you know, we have some summers where it gets pretty, pretty hot and pretty nasty and muggy outside. And, um, you, you see that, I mean, if you go a while without rain, the, the scorching sun will, it'll wither the grass. Okay. So the, for the sun rises with its scorching heat and withers the grass, its flower falls and its beauty perishes. So all these things that we find beauty and we find our treasure in, it's going to, it's going to burn up just like the rest of everything else. So don't put your spiritual significance don't put your personal identity in these in these things all right so continuing on here so also will the rich man fade away in the midst of his pursuits all right so again possessions are nice they're good to have and they are you know we need some things in order to for us to you know have basic survival materials but whenever those things become our little G God, and we are prioritizing those things above the Almighty God, the Creator of the universe, that's when it becomes an issue. So at first glance, I thought that the the section of verses nine through twelve was kind of kind of odd, you know, odd, oddly placed. I'm sorry, nine through eleven was kind of oddly placed in there. And um, but after you kind of kind of do a little bit more research and you look into the full context of what James is saying in this entire section, you know, between, I guess, verses two through 18, the whole context of this, this section being in there really, really does make sense. So again, verses 11 or verse 11 was reiterating the point that James was making in verse 10. It's okay to have things in your life, but it is not okay for those things to have your life. All right. Don't put your trust in those things. So moving on here to verse 12, so verse 12 is starts out by basically kind of referring back to what you know the last episode was about, what uh, verses 2 through 8 really are discussing, and that's persevering through trials. So verse 12, blessed is the man who remains steadfast, or another way of saying it is to who perseveres under trials. For when he has stood the test, he will receive the crown of life. All right, so a couple of things to unpack here. First one, like I said, it's a reference back to the uh, perseverance through trials and um again that is only we're only able to do that through God's wisdom through God's provisions and he promises here in verse 12 that we will receive the crown of life. So that is I believe it's a reference to our eternal life because we are saved by faith, saved by grace. Those of us that persevere through these hard times because of our faith, it's a testament to the fact that we are being granted that, that eternal life that God promises. And I think, you know, kind of referring back to verses nine through 11 here, you know, I think he has, I think James mentions that section, you know, about material possessions in that, because I think it's kind of been in a way him saying that, that money cannot keep us from trials. Like it doesn't matter how much money you have, you're still going to face hard times you're still going to face you know difficult circumstances so i think the point of you know what he was mentioning before is to kind of throw that in there to let us know that like you're going to you're going to face hard times you're going to face troubles you're going to face these these difficult things regardless of how much money you have okay and those that are poor the people that are poor that don't have these material possessions to put their faith in they don't have these these things these materials these objects to put their trust in they already have that a a great opportunity to put their faith in God during these difficult times that James is referencing here. Now, as far as rich people go who have a lot of possessions, they have a lot of materials, it's easy for them, you know, I think it's I think this is the point of what James is making. It's easy for them to have that faith in their material things because that's what they've relied on up to this point. You know, I'm not saying that every rich person, of course, is a not trusting in God. I'm just saying I'm just making the point of what I think James is trying to to reference here. Now, moving forward, um, you know, verses 13 through 15, I think this is where it starts to kind of transition to almost kind of like a roadmap of what sin looks like, of, of how we end up, you know, being tempted and how that turns into sin and how, you know, the, the progression of what this kind of looks like. Now, before I get into that, I do want to mention one book that, well, I guess it's it's really a whole series of books. That are done. Uh, they're called Christ-centered expositions. Um, this is actually a lot of the information that I'm getting, you know, from James. It's from the the James-specific book in this series. And it's written by David Platt. Uh, in this book, David Platt, he lays out almost like four stages, almost like this four this four-stage progression of how we end up end up sinning, you know based on what verses 13 through 15 says here. So instead of kind of doing the verse-by-verse verse thing, I'm going to lump all three of these verses together. All right, that way you can kind of see that that progression throughout these three verses. And all, all four of those stages, I'll just kind of mention them real quick, deception, then that leads to desire, that leads to disobedience, and then that leads to death. Okay, so the four stages, they all start with the letter D, almost like the four Ds of sin, deception, desire, disobedience, and death. All right so the verse starting out here on uh, starting out here on verse 13, let no one say when he is tempted, I am being tempted by God, for God cannot be tempted with evil and he himself tempts no one. okay so right there is addressing this this idea of deception. okay so deception is you know we saw it in the Garden of Eden, Genesis chapter 3, the fall of man. That is where deception, that was the first deception, I guess. And then that is a continuous cycle for us, you know, as a result of being, you know, bound by sinful nature and bound by human nature and being humans, being in the flesh. Part of that process is we always have to be aware of deception. Okay, so that's basically what he's saying here is that don't think that God is the one that's that's tempting you. He's not the, he's not going to tempt you because temptation leads to sin, okay, and God is apart from sin. You know, God is not involved in that department. God is not involved in that department of sin, so therefore he cannot tempt us, okay? So temptation does not come from God. That's what this is saying, so don't be deceived, all right? So that's kind of the first layer of this this sinful progression here, okay? So deception, being deceived is that first... Part of that. All right, verse fourteen. But each person is tempted when he is lured and enticed by his own desire. Okay, so we start out with deception, and then we progress down to desire. And that word is specifically mentioned right here. So that desire to do things that we, you know, want to do that do not honor God. Those would be sinful desires. So we start out with deception. We work down to desire. Now, whenever, whenever I read this. Uh, I immediately thought of Galatians five seventeen. So let me get that pulled up here real quick. So Galatians is another heavy book that we may end up doing a little bit later on. Um, but Galatians five seventeen says, and really this whole section right here in Galatians five is just about like battling your own flesh and battling that that sinful human nature that really James is discussing right here. But specifically verse fifth, sorry, verse seventeen in chapter five says that for the desires of the flesh are against the spirit. Boom, that's a direct reference to what we were discussing in James. So, for the desires of the flesh are against the spirit, and the desires of the spirit are against the flesh, for they are opposed to each other to keep you from doing the things you want to do. All right, so that is exactly where that second stage of sin, the second stage of sinful nature, really amps up. You know, it's it's that... It's that sinful desire, desire of the flesh to do the things that, you know, the spirit is contrary to and vice versa. And that's exactly where David Platt lays this out as far as the second stage of the sinful nature. All right. And the third kind of moving forward with verse 15, this is actually going to include the last two it says, then desire when it is conceived gives birth to sin. All right. So then we have disobedience. This is where the disobedience kind of comes into play. Whenever that desire it evolves, it grows, and we end up acting on that desire. You know, whether it's looking on your phone at things you know you shouldn't be, whether it's washing out in anger at people, uh, overeating because that's the only thing that makes you feel good, um, pride, dishonesty—you know—a whole array of sins. Whenever they are acted upon, that is. When we have that disobedience, that's kind of the third stage of the sinful nature. You know, the deception, desire, disobedience, acting on that desire. And then once that has fully matured, kind of continuing on here in verse 15, and sin, when it is fully grown, brings forth death. So that fourth stage is death. Now, Romans mentions that the wages of sin is death, and that's exactly what James is getting at right here what's going to happen in here is that with sin comes death with that disobedience, with that act upon our own fleshly human desires comes a point of death. Okay. We saw this, like we said and mentioned, mentioned a minute ago with Genesis three, that's exactly what happened with the fall of man. This whole progression, this exact same thing progressed. We were deceived and okay, Eve was deceived by Satan or the snake. I mean, whatever you're uh, scholarly guess is on what the snake represents but the point is they were deceived they had a desire to know good and evil and to basically become their own gods they acted upon it and then death entered the picture we see the same picture you see the same thing right here in verses 13 through 15 it's the same progression deception desire disobedience, and then death so that of course creates a problem for us. Okay. So one of the biggest problems that humanity faces is that we die. It's our own mortality. You know, those that are apart from Christ, those that are apart from God. They fear death. Their own mortality is the the, is the thing that scares them the most. It doesn't matter how much money you have. You're still going to die. It doesn't matter how, how poor you are. You're still going to die. These are, this is something that is a true reality that everyone faces Regardless of your social status, regardless of your position in your career, regardless of anything, at some point we're going to die, and I don't mean to say that to be you know depressing or or down, but it's the truth. You know, I think a lot of people that are in power right now, you know, looking at the current circumstances, looking at you know the way the world is right now, specifically, I think a lot of people that are in power, if you look at them, they're very old. Now this is, I'm not some kind of conspiracy theorist, so whatever you can come up with whatever conclusion you want to as far as this goes, but my point is they're very old. A lot of them are, you know, based on the character and based on what we can tell apart from Christ, apart from God, and they're getting to a point to where they are fearing mortality more and more because they know that regardless of how much money they have, regardless of how much power they have, they're still going to die. There will be replaced. So take that as far as you want to, uh, but it is it is a reality. It doesn't matter how much money you have, your casket might be a little bit nicer than you know somebody else's, but the person inside of it's still going to have the same result. But the good news is, verses sixteen through eighteen, we have a solution to this. All right. So before we move on to that, you know, people, I think people, especially new Christians or people who you know are are kind of questioning the Christian faith. Uh, They'll ask, you know, why why did Jesus have to die on a cross in order to take our sins? Couldn't he just wipe them out and, you know, not have to do anything? Why did Jesus have to come? Those types of questions. And those are very good questions. I mean, I I think that, you know, I think any Christian, I think any believer should really study into that and have a good, solid answer because that is a legitimate question that I think people will ask. And you have to have a good answer for that. So why did Jesus have to die on the cross? And the really the answer is embedded in this section right here through verses 13 through 15 here. because in order for us to have this this fellowship with God once again, we know we keep referring back to Genesis 3 that was you know separated at that moment in the fall of man. In order for us to have that fellowship with God again, Christ had to come in order to become sin. He was sinless. So he brought that sin upon him and experienced death. So he brought up these terrible things that we're mentioning right here in verses 13 through 15. He voluntarily sent his son to do this, this action to erase it away from us. Like I know it's a pretty simple concept. You know, it's not a complex thing where you have to, say so many prayers and you have to do, you know, so many acts of whatever, and you have to do all this stuff. It's really just a matter of believing in Christ and who he is as the Messiah, as the son of God and believing in the act that he performed on the cross because we cannot take our own death away. We cannot take our own sin away. All we do is add to the mess. We have to have somebody come in and clean that up. And that person is Christ. It's nobody else. It's not, you literally can't It's not your pastor. It's not anyone else. It's only through Christ. So he became sin and he took on death for us so that we don't have to. We don't have to be judged on our sin because he's already erased it away from us because he became it for us. And he buried it in the ground and then defeated it and then rose three days later. That's the reality of what we're looking at here. So looking at the solution to our temptation, looking at the solution to this sin. And I do want to add one thing. Should have mentioned this earlier. It's not a sin to be tempted, okay? Because Jesus was tempted. You no, know, he was tempted, but it is a sin once you have that. Once you are deceived, you know the deception is the sin. If you look at the moment that Christ was tempted, you know it's a whole, it's a whole story, and it's very early on in in Christ's ministry. Um, he was never deceived. You know, Satan, the enemy, he tried to deceive him. But Jesus refused to believe anything he said, so that's when the that's when the sin really occurs. Is when you are deceived, you have the desire to act out on something, then you act out on it, and then at that point, death and sin has entered the picture. But now let's get to the solution. So, already alluded to it a little bit, verses sixteen through through eighteen it says, "Do not be deceived, my beloved brothers." Verse sixteen, right there, perfect. Boom. I mean, I don't know what else to say to that. It's addressing the first stage of sin that we mentioned there before, that David Platt kind of put out for us as that first stage of deception. He's addressing that directly. Do not be deceived, my beloved brothers. Verse 17, every good and perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of lights with whom there is no variation or shadow due to change. Now, all good things come from God. Okay? God literally cannot produce bad things. God is good, so He all good things come from him. It says it right here in verse 17. And then this also, uh, the second part of this, this verse, with whom there is no variation, okay? There is no variation or shadow due to change. God doesn't change. The God of the Old Testament, the God of Genesis 1-1, is the same God of Revelation. He's the same all throughout Hebrews 13 8, says that Jesus Christ is the same yesterday today and forever. Nothing has changed during this entire span of of time. You know it's hard for us to kind of imagine what eternity looks like because you know we're <laughs> I'm, we're used to 24 hours 24-hour 20, days and 30 day or so months. We're used to calendars, we're used to set times, we're used to minutes. We we have a familiarity with what kind of time feels like. But to kind of comprehend what eternity looks like, it's impossible for us. But God is the same yesterday, everything before today. He's the same today as he was yesterday. And he will be the same tomorrow into eternity forever. Hebrews 13, 8. Check that one out. And then finishing us up here with verse 18. You know, honestly, whenever I first read this, it took me a little bit to kind of dissect what was going on. Uh, It says, of his own will he brought us forth by the word of truth that we should be a kind of first fruits of his creatures. All right. So that, like I said, this one took me a little bit to kind of understand what was saying, but I think some other translations, instead of saying brought us forth, it'll say give birth to, um, you know, that's kind of the same concept. And whenever, you know, I've got two beautiful kids, I've got another one on the way. Um, the, the process of birth is it's bringing new life. I mean, I'm sure everybody, hopefully everybody's familiar with, you know, some form of of birth and it brings new life. It brings life forward. So it's saying here that God, by his will, has brought us new life and has written his word on our hearts. Okay, so this is that first part of verse 18. Of his own will, he brought us forth by the word of truth. That word of truth is the word of God and that he has written it on our hearts for the process of eternity. And then as first fruits, I think this is a reference to you know us as as faithful believers. We are kind of a precursor to what eternity is going to look like. So those of us that have the true faith in God, those of us that have you know that that relationship with Him, I think as I think it's, like I said, it's a it's a precursor. It's the first fruits. It's the the first part of His new creation. Revelation just finished up a a you know two month long study through Revelation. It was it was pretty heavy. There's a lot going on there, but at the very end, in the last few chapters, it's Christ bringing back the the bringing forth the new creation, and it's a it's a beautiful picture to to really read and to try to understand and look at the the symb- symbolism of everything. And I think what we see now with the kingdom of God present now right now we see those first fruits of of the kingdom we see what kind of a precursor of what it's going to look like i think that's what james is kind of referencing here so it says that we should be a first a kind of first fruits of his creatures so verses 9 through 18 like i said i mean this this whole the whole book is like this i mean it's going to be it's going to be pretty challenging to get through it but I think it's definitely essential. Um, like I said, if you guys haven't checked out the, the first part of this James series, then definitely go ahead and do that. It'll end up being episode 70. So go check that out. Um, in that episode, we broke down verses one through eight. And in this one, of course, we got another good chunk with verses nine through 18. So thank you guys for listening today. You know, I think, all these things definitely, uh, definitely correlate with each other. This is all the same continuation of what James was writing. You know, while we anticipate this, create this new creation coming, this new kingdom of God coming. You know, we can rest assured knowing that that He has provided us a way out of sin, and that's through His Son Jesus Christ. And this truth is what ultimately allows us to consider you know, these trials and these hard times, and consider these things as pure joy. So, make sure you guys subscribe to the podcast. If you guys uh, are enjoying what you're hearing, then leave me a rating. You know, those those ratings and reviews, they are pretty essential as far as podcasting goes. It seems like every day there's new podcasts popping up. And, you know, I think it's a great platform, obviously, something I use. Um, so, and really, this, this entire podcast has been basically done through word of mouth like it, it has grown organically and it's been pretty awesome to kind of see it over the past i don't know i guess at this point almost i guess it's almost two years at this point so to see it grow during that time has been pretty incredible so continue telling people about it um leave those ratings and reviews that way you can, can continue to get uh growth and continue to get it out there into more people's ears so thank you guys subscribe check me out on instagram at rice